This episode of Uncommon Thinking from Advertising Week Africa 2023, we join Bonin Bao and Chaucer Barnes to learn about the latest innovations and cultural moments set to transform advertising. They'll share the most pressing issues facing the industry today, the trends we should all be paying attention to, and provide their predictions for 2023. We've got a great conversation about how cultural moments are set to transform advertising. Welcome to Trends and Predictions for 2023. My name is Molly Jensen and I am the CEO of Afropods and I have two incredible panelists here today. If you don't mind introducing yourself. Hi, I'm Chaucer Barnes. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer of United Masters Incorporated. Uh, think of that as a holding company that has two companies inside of it, one of which is Translation. Translation is a creative agency of some stripe, I would say. We're at age number three on the A-list. We're Adweek's multicultural agency of the year, et cetera, et cetera. We represent clients as diverse as the NBA, Beats, WhatsApp, a number of others who are seeking to find a relationship with youth culture. And then the other side of the equation is our software and services platform, United Masters, which strives to create an operating system for musical artists to stay independent and thus own their IP and their audiences and their futures. Chaucer, you're up in the bleachers. You're throwing us up in the raptors. The jersey's I, up there. And like, hey, <laughs> boom. And for you, Bonin, please introduce yourself. Of course. What's up, Joe Berg? Are you good? Let's go. How are you? Are you good? I know Chaucer was saying we should invite everybody up closer, but I mean, yeah, feel free to pull it'd up. It'd be nice to see more faces. It's specific faces. That's a direct right, invitation. Right. Um, I'm Bonin Bao. Um, as we established earlier, friend of Chaucer. Uh, so, um, and uh, chief strategy officer and co-founder of Group Black. Group Black is uh, the largest black-owned media collective in the US, I think globally, but I don't have the <laughs> proof points to say that, so we'll just pretend. Um, and we represent over 350 black-owned media companies. Uh, to date, we're about 18 months old. Um, and our singular mission is to change equitable ownership of media. Today, 0.2% of media is black owned, 0.5% is female, and anything other marginalizes somewhere in between there, which means that 99% of the narratives that are greenlit are greenlit by people who don't look like us, which kind of probably explains why those narratives don't truly represent us and our culture. Uh, and so we seek to change that uh, in a very short, short period of time. So. Amazing, thank you. I don't think I could have done either of you justice and I am very privileged to be sitting among industry giants. So I'm really excited for this conversation and I hope you guys are as well. Um, well, just to kind of frame this as well again, I wanna say that we're sitting at the crossroads of visibility, trend making and opportunity. It really does beg the question, what is truly possible for a community of people whose lead export is culture and how do we continue to capture innovation in an authentic way? So for my first question, it's for you, Bonham. Your impact across some of the world's most dynamic and revered companies has been well documented. What do you feel are the biggest challenges we are facing today in general and on the continent when it comes to advertising opportunities? I think, so I didn't share my past, but um, I spent my first 10 years building two global digital agencies, one private, one public, one still 
one of the largest in the world. Uh, and I left the agency world because I taught, thought clients were too dumb to buy good work, so I became a dumb client. And uh, maybe a really stupid client, probably because I didn't know what I should do or what I shouldn't do, and I became the first chief digital officer of PepsiCo for five years, and then uh, CMO of Kraft, which eventually became Mondelez, the largest snack food company in the world. So we owned like Cadbury, Oreos, Wheat Thin, Stride, Trident. And South Africa has a very special place in my heart. I used to come to the continent at least twice a year, up and down the continent. In fact, I took my dad uh, on a 19-day trip, shot a documentary from South Africa all the way up to Egypt when he was 89, maybe. My dad cried in Egypt. He cried in South Africa. He cried in Kenya. He just cried because he had never seen, <laughs> he just likes to cry, but he had never seen the culture that he's read about and that he's, you know, that, that shaped his life ever. Uh, in, in the kind of density that sits uh, on the continent before. And um, two things happened to me interesting in South Africa, which is, you know, one, I had the chance to reboot the Cadbury business. And the way we rebooted the Cadbury business was I said, why don't we put, it, there had never been an all black cast in any of their advertisements ever in the history of Cadbury, which is mind blowing. So <laughs> it's crazy. So we put the first all black cast and we doubled down and made sure there was all black production, all those components. The brand shot up, boom, and people couldn't believe it. And I said, well, we're in an all black country. Like, it's the same thing with Black Panther. If you show us people that look like us, we're most likely probably going to, you know, cater towards that product. It's kind of, it's like 101. Uh, and even with our community more because we're so used to not being represented. Um, and then the other thing that happened, I was talking to somebody and I was trying to explain the African-American experience and they said something very interesting. They said, you know what? We don't worry about our lineage because we know we came from kings and queens. We know that we you know, are great people. And sometimes the African-American experience, because it's been segmented from that, we don't, we don't share the same thing. So when I think about advertising, the biggest opportunity I think on the continent right now is to make sure that the creative minds in here that are actually shaping the culture have a chance to enter into those, uh, enter into that space. And I think we were talking about this earlier, uh, and I don't want to steal this because you have a much better positioning on this, which is the brightest creative minds tend to end at the, begin their career at the very bottom of the pyramid, and maybe you, you, know, you can talk about that. But I think what we have to do, and this is why I think this event is important, is we need to be, begin to open up this industry so that the creative minds here have a chance to impact the work that's being done and the products and the services and the commercials and the pieces that are being shown. I think that, to me, that's the, the single largest. And it's funny because one of the, we're in acquisition mode and one of the companies that we're looking potentially, you know, there was an agency attached to it. And I said, I can't wait to have an agency. You guys have done phenomenal. If you don't know, I mean, he's being modest. I mean, they transform, you know, I think culture in general and leverage and attach culture to transform brands in, in a big way. If I think about, there's only three, I think, create, black creative directors at the major Holcos in the U.S.? Yeah, they might have got it to five or seven, right. One, right. you know, once you account for freelance and whatnot. Right. So it, my whole thing is give me an agency so I can be like, by the way, every black creative director, guess what? Come, come now. Let's go quarter the mark on culture. And that's, that's you know, that lens is, is, I think, that's the biggest opportunity. But I, I you know, that's, my, that's a broad one, though. I think that, you know, you really seamlessly segued and kind of alluded to what Chaucer knows about the pyramid and, and how important it is that these people get representation. Do you want to kind of go into that? Well, yeah, so to catch everybody up, we were, we were talking about 
kind of crises in the industry. And one of the ones that I see, right, we want to run an agency. Agency's roughly 20 years old. I've been at that agency for over 10 years. And so I've been able to see it through a couple of different chapters. And I got to acknowledge there is a real, very real brain drain that has happened as a result of Web2 success, right? So on one side of the company, we're thrilled that young creators can come in, make a career out of, you know, effectively monetize their social identity, monetize their story, monetize their passion point. But at the same time, when you're trying to staff an agency, you have a very real obligation to stay connected to youth culture. And if you acknowledge that the very best creative minds are going to be out tinkering with all, t all types of expression, and that they're going to be piloting that in front of real audiences, and they're going to be doing all of the things that happen on this side of the company, it's going to be very, very difficult to just drop them into an org chart and say, now, you run papers back and forth while we decide the big stuff. When I joined the industry 20 years ago, there were some very rote tasks, and you just did those tasks until somebody gave you an opportunity to get near the table where the decision might happen. I felt 20 years ago as a young person trying to get into this business, there was no other way. The young people today don't feel that way, and they shouldn't. And so there's this very real question of how do you create an on-ramp into this industry for the very best and brightest when the alternative is a clearer path to success? I think that's really interesting. I mean, the definition of success really does change in the lens of, I mean, generally, generationally, really. So we're sitting at this really exciting moment and I think, um, Bonin, you said the density that sits on the continent after you're talking about this Cape Town to Cairo trip, which is a dream of mine. <laughs> I'm very jealous of that. And it reminded me of what I saw online on your LinkedIn, um, Chaucer. You had mentioned Africa is primed to drive a massive share of pop culture and commerce moving forward. And I think it begs for both of you guys, maybe we'll start with Bonin here, but where do you think the largest growth opportunity is? I'm, I'm going to offer for you to start, because I know you have a very specific perspective on the commerce component. Go, sir. Well, yeah, and, and, and though we were backstage, I'm sure, I'm confident Derek just hit on this just a minute ago, because backstage we talked about the enthusiasm economy. Uh, but listen, I, everything's a metaphor for me. I was a rapper before I was any kind of advertising executive, right? And, you know, Run DMC, the story of Run DMC and the capitalizing moment of hip hop with Adidas, right? That's a tale that we often tell within our practice as a reminder of what can happen when the, when the right people get put together at the right time. It obviously went on to create a halo effect around the Adidas brand. It launched these young gentlemen from Queens into the cultural commons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right now, if you were looking for Run DMC right now, if you were looking for something to attach your brand to, if you were looking for something to, some kind of vehicle that had a community behind it that was growth prone and was prone to spread and kind of take over the culture, the global culture, if you were looking for the Run DMC of right now, you'd be looking right here. You wouldn't be looking in Queens, you'd be looking in Soweto. You wouldn't be looking in Los Angeles, you'd be looking in Nairobi, et cetera. And so, you know, as I consider what the opportunity is, it's twofold. Number one, for 
brands that really want to contextualize their products, their services, and their values within communities that are growth prone, but also the opportunity for those creators to continue to kind of participate in the financial largesse that results. That's the big opportunity. And I think it's meaningfully accelerated by Web3. I know that, you know, after Doge took a dive, Bitcoin took a dive, like Web3 kind of fell out of vogue, but the mere idea of being able to transfer and be able to acknowledge that something is upstream and differentiated from being downstream, the idea that value can stick to innovation and not simply be taken over by somebody who did it a little differently, but it's still obviously a recipe. These are all really invitations to greatness that I think the creative forces that are on the continent right now, the next run DMCs, are really primed to take great advantage of. I think, you know, I think you said something which, you said uh, that companies have an obligation, and you're right, an obligation to listen to youth because if they don't, they're, they're, they're missing out on growth, right? That, that's, that's, I never thought about it that way, but it's, and then when I think about that, in connection to here, I think the other, what I love about Africa is that you guys are 1.4 billion people. And I think one of the big, and now I know there's a lot of differences when you go country to country and maybe even within country. Um, I think the biggest challenge we have as a global black society has been the absence of investing in ourselves. And I use the example of when, um, we bought Essence. Well, I can't go into the specifics. It was not the healthiest business, let's just put it that way. It had been underinvested in, overlooked. People were surprised by the price that was paid for it. At that time, 100,000 people, and I said this in the other room too, so sorry if you're, I'm repeating, but at that time, 100,000 people would go to Essence Fest. Um, the business owners used to shutter the doors when Essence came in. If you went last year, 650,000 people showed up, making it the That's largest cool. festival in the world. That's wow. Cool. It is also- That's incredible. It's the first and second largest, thank you. I mean, Rich and that team deserve the, but I'll take some claps. But um, it's the first and second largest day of economic generation for the city of New Orleans, bigger than Mardi Gras, bigger than Christmas. I mean, in fact, now business owners beg to be a part of the festival. And also the crazy thing is there's also, it's the two days where there's no crime, which is a whole different story. But it's because they invested in their community, in the black female, and then ultimately in black culture and created, and so as I look at this, you know, what's interesting, I, I lived in China, I lived in India, I lived in Brazil, I, I, you know, I've seen, uh, and then I've traveled all over and spent time launching, What's interesting about China is I, I launched WeChat in Brazil and it was a miserable failure. You know why? Because China was like, eh, we don't care. We got a billion people here. We'll just make our money on these billion people. Facebook, eh, we don't need it. We'll just make our own. We got a billion people. You guys got 1.4 billion. And I think that that's where, when I talk about the density, the density of creativity, but the density of opportunity to build for your own communities and to leverage the buying power. And I don't know the statistics through Africa, but I'll just give you the US statistics. And we're only 13% of the population. And to that point around hip hop, I tell people, I said, look, our culture generates, man. We, the, hip hop was the largest economic generating genre of music ever. 
period. ever, period. And that's not done by 13% of the population, by the way. In terms of us buying it alone, that's us creating something that the whole world buys. And they've sold everything from bottles of water, you name it, they, they've sold it. And when you look at just the U.S. African-American buying population uh, power, it's $1.7 trillion this year which is almost the size of many countries' GDP, by the way. And in, on top of that, if companies began to truly invest in that community, within 10 years, that could be $17 trillion. Now, I don't care what color you are. If you like green, there is a lot of green that's being missed because we haven't built the infrastructure to be able to reach authentically that community. Yeah. You guys have a chance to do that and to grow within just the borders of Africa alone. And I think that that's a huge, and to mention, the reality is culture is being created here, not in the US anymore. And so that to me is a, a very huge opportunity. I love that you said that. I was speaking a little bit earlier and uh, the mic drop moment for me was I said, the money is already printed. You just gotta go get it. Right. And I think that we're in a really exciting opportunity for Africa. And I wanted to kind of shift our conversation to innovation. Mm. And I wanted to ask this specifically to you, Shasha. But the one thing I will say go is, ahead. If, we, if you continue to let the dollar leave the community, then you will not grow. And so that's the one piece is why I think investing in our own ecosystem, every, and I'm not trying to say don't buy international stuff, but every time you send money to something that's not black owned, you're not growing the black ecosystem. That's just one piece, sir. That's a huge that go, piece. That, but it goes for everything, go right? right? On as, that. as craft service, that's right. everything in the value chain. And before we move on, look, I think we've seen this, we've seen people, corporate entities, really change their posture toward a couple of different uh, foci, right? So you've, all of a sudden you've heard of fair trade coffee. Right. You've heard of conflict-free diamonds. Right. You've heard of carbon neutral travel. I'm gonna make sure with my friends, maybe, uh, that you've heard of creator-owned IP, right? And all of these things that exist in the value chains of these big companies, there can be a reappraisal, but we have to kind of force that reappraisal. And I think starting with ourselves is the only, only likely first step. That's very poignant. And I think that remembering that there is a real true authenticity on this continent being, in my opinion, the originators of cool, right? That you have captured culture, that Africa right now is having a moment where some people would say it's riding the zeitgeist. And I think that they're just late to the party. Yes. Africa has always been an incredibly vibrant continent full of rich culture, language, people, opportunity, and story. And I think Switching. I was going to switch to innovation, but just going back to community, I think, Bonham, this is great for you. Africa is a richly vibrant continent with deep community ties. Seeing the rise of community media and how important community is for the continent, how do you see that as an opportunity for advertisers to have an impact in Africa in an authentic way? Yeah, I think I kind of shared a, a, um, a little bit of, you know, a, a, a little bit of that, but I, you know, again, what we, what I, I've spent most of my most of my career has been general market, and trying to grow businesses, and all I care about is growth, right? And the only two places that you have ever source growth is from underinvested in opportunities and underinvested in communities, and you know, unfortunately, we sit at the nexus of, of both of those, right? But 
that's a huge opportunity, but the only way that it gets there is you create infrastructure. And we know this as industries, you have to create the infrastructure to be able to unlock the value. And we've done that time and time again. It's called China. It's called Brazil. It's called India. Like we literally, it's called electric cars. Like chargers had to go in before cars could become rampant. And we built ahead of the future. So when I talk to companies, how much, you know, I don't know the number, but if, if just in the U.S. there's $17 trillion, and that's only, you know, 100 million people, or not even, it's uh, 30, right, uh, 40 million, right? Think about what the scale of this economy opportunity is here, and we haven't built the infrastructure. Now, the real opportunity is for companies to invest in the community to build the infrastructure versus just coming in and building it and owning it because it doesn't reinvest. We know that when we invest in black-owned businesses, they invest in employing black people. They invest in their communities. They invest in growing that GDP. So the challenge is, is you know, we created a ton of culture. Sadly, we haven't monetized our culture. And what we have to make sure we get right moving forward is we can't let other people come in, put the infrastructure in it and extract the value without us actually being a part of that value chain so we can create greater value. And I think with enough of this kind of conversation around this, I think companies, the better ones, I guess you could say, get that and understand that, that you know, we, it's not about hunters, it's about farmers. Like that's what we need to, to continue to do so that we can grow the economy. So I think that that's the biggest, forget about advertising, I think, organizations have the hugest opportunity of truly investing through the communities to grow the communities. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> Let's give that one a moment. And you know, that kind of leads, it makes me think of the conversation we were having a little bit earlier, Chaucer. You were mentioning artifacts and rituals and languages to build bonds. Mm -hmm. How do you think you do that? You were really excited to talk about it, and I think everyone should hear what I heard earlier. Yeah, so when, when, you, when you have to wear this moniker, multicultural, even though you change the fortunes of Fortune 500 businesses, uh, you learn that, that a lot of people talk about culture, and so it's really important for us to really be clear about what we mean when we say we want to push culture forward, right? So we're talking about the networks we belong to, some of those networks we're born to, right? I'm black, I'm Southern. Because of that, there are certain rituals, artifacts, and languages that I'm naturally fluent with, right? I can play spades anywhere in the world, any time of day, right? <laughs> but there are also these other networks that I subscribe to, these other communities that I'm a part of, and they have a tendency to play a greater role in my social identity than the ones I was born to, which is why the big insight of hip hop being able to kind of overcome all of these other boundaries that other people had drawn to create a world in which a kid from a $600,000 household in Greenwich, Connecticut, a kid from a $60,000 household in Compton, California would share the same taste in clothes, cars, drink, what jeans they're gonna wear, how high they're gonna wear them off their waist. The rituals, artifacts, languages, those are really just products and services and brands, right? And so when you're able to create a paradigm in which a brand can assist a community, assist a network in signaling who they are to others, when they can assist the community in building something that will advantage them as a community, what you're gonna see is brand love and what you're gonna see is brand adoption. And we see that association, that's what we have is badge brands, right? Badge brands can tell a story about me as an individual, it can tell you what group I'm associated with it, and ultimately you earn the right to be one of those badge brands by being in service of those communities. 
If only it were that simple. If only. If <laughs> By the way, that's 100,000% true. And I can show you 15 charts and 511 case studies that show you that that's true. It's just training and retraining the marketplace to adopt that as the paradigm. I want to find a community to lift up. And as they grow and as their influence grows, not only will my share of their affinity grow, but they will then cascade, they will then cascade my brand out and that love out to others. You know, it's interesting because <clears throat> we're talking about 2.0 success and creativity and talent. If you really think about it, if Facebook truly shared and invested into the creator economy and shared the wealth with the creators, TikTok probably wouldn't exist right now. Facts. You know what I mean? And that's because they, they, they couldn't see the, yeah, they didn't see the long game. It was greed that clouded versus investing in the people who actually built their platform. That's really important. And I think- Not a ton of badge brand value for me. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, yes, it's rough. And I think Facebook <laughs> for life. <laughs> I think it's interesting because, you know, both of what you're kind of hovering around and, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier, Bonin, is about the infrastructure. And I think there are definitely structural challenges that exist here as we're uh, growing the market and discovering the market that make it hard for some of the creators currently to create, to create value. Mm -hmm. How do we sell creativity and create value out of creativity? Or how do you think we do, since we're talking about predictions? I'm let Chaucer. <laughs> Anything hard. I'm that's a hard pass to the left. No, <laughs> yeah, no look, it, it's not meaningfully different. And I say that with the, with the maximum amount of humility that I can gather. But again, I see this all as 1986 Hollis Queens, right? And the fact of the matter is you have to make a scene and that scene has to have all of those, uh, all of those features of really being a cultural movement in order to create some initial momentum. And in the very beginning, it's not capitalized. It's not monetized, right? Like when you hear about the park jams and we were out there, like you hear the romantic stories of hip hop star and they're like, we were snatching power up from the lights, right? That's a real story. And the truth of the matter is when you can create a really potent mix and you can create some very real rules and boundaries around what it is to be in and out of this group and some gravity around that, where everybody wants to be involved, which I think, you know, all the references that we've heard on this stage uh, today already have started to suggest that certainly South Africa is doing, certainly much of the continent is doing, then those are the preconditions to that monetization. So I'm not saying we get to skip steps and jump to the end of the roadmap, but I am saying the initial ingredients are already here. And the truth of the matter is maybe a little bit of outside maybe a little bit of outside investment, but outside investment generally chases kind of ingrown success, right. right? So there's a reason why when you hear the Run DMC story and the Adidas story, there's a reason why that capitalizing moment in hip hop didn't happen until the Adidas executive winds up in Madison Square Garden and he sees 18,000 pairs of shoes in the air. You have to be able to create that kind of cultural surround sound. And sometimes you're not gonna be able to do that with outside dollars, those outside dollars show up later. And, and I think we have to- we on the right track here. I, I think we have to expand the, the concept of creativity. And we have to give, we have to continually give the next generation. Like when I see 
okay, so you said there's challenges in the ecosystem, and the, to me, that signals opportunities. So, okay. Probability. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and by the way, that's what we're good at. Oh, 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 just to cut this thing in half, put a little wire on and fix the TV that way. We don't need to buy an antenna, you know what I mean? Like, we fix problems. So I, I think, but I also think we have to, when I hear, my, my concern about, the, I think the creator economy is, the, it will be the largest economic wave that we've seen I think maybe in history, right? It kind of has to be. It has to be, right? Because, yeah. And, but the thing about it is it's, it's going to be, it's not just going to be TikTok and Instagram fame. Because to me, that sounds just like, oh, the only way out of the ghetto is to play ball or rap. Once we showed a broader lens, it was like, oh, wait a second. There's all these other ways I can apply my creativity. And I'll give one, you know, I, I shared this story too, so I'm just repeating myself to you, but um, I hope you don't mind. So we're I, friends. Right, we're friends. I, uh, I'm getting my dad, who was 93, he would just tell the same story over and over again. I'm like, I know that one, Dad, thanks. Um, thanks for that insight. But uh, um, I was at this dinner and this guy comes up to me, he goes, you don't know me, but I know you. He goes, uh, before I got arrested, I successfully ran a $300 million cocaine operation up and down the West Coast. But what I learned was I wasn't actually a drug dealer, I was a CEO. I, had, I managed cash flow, I ran a supply chain, I had direct reports, because I want to introduce you to somebody who works on my team come to dinner. So I went to this other dinner, he goes, this guy, he successfully robbed 27 banks before he got caught. He said, but he's not a bank robber, he's a strategic planner. Right. He says he understands what to work under pressure, he knows deadlines, he can be... So I was like, dude, but he said something that I'll never, for... I mean, I was so blown away, man. He said something I'll never forget. He said, you know what? If I knew I could sell creativity, I wouldn't have sold cocaine. And the point was, is we don't show enough roadmaps to our youth and the new generation that there's other ways to apply your creativity. And I think that I get worried if we get stuck in a TikTok generation because there's so many other ways that they can be creating value out of their creativity. And how do we make sure that they have those on-ramps mm -hmm. and those insights? And how do we make sure they can see it so that ultimately they can be it? That's kind of just my thought. That's a perfect segue. That is an incredible, incredible, incredible takeaway. But I think that's a great segue to innovation a little bit. And I know we're getting towards the end, but there's only a couple questions. We're the last panel. You'll we're hang the out. I hope you guys don't mind. But Shut it down. Encore. I, no, go ahead. Encore. <laughs> Stand, please. Um, when I think of innovation, I think of culturally relevant solutions and strategies that fit in with the current society. Chaucer, your work has primarily been rooted in culture and finding creative solutions to bridge the gap. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about how do you develop creative solutions or innovations in the advertising space? And since um, Bonin had mentioned it earlier, how does the young people impact innovation in your opinion? Um, well, I'll take that backwards. Young people are always going to be the source of innovation because they have less to lose, right? Mm. Um, there's actually a recipe to like, our method that is open source, right? Um, the one that I like to apply and one I like to quote is from Yasin Bey. Uh, and it goes, when you look at an idea, and to your point, it's about fitting into current culture while at the same time being innovative, there's this little checklist I like to run down. And it goes, is it intimate and distant? Is it commonplace and different? Is it fresher than an infant? 
Can you repeat that? Just, just in case anyone wanted to write that down. Is it, I actually said them out of order. Is it commonplace and different? Is it intimate and distant? Is it fresher than an infant? And the commonplace and different thing is really about, it's like, if you ever try to sit down and write a hit record, you're gonna take a beat I recognize and play new chords on it, or you're gonna put a new melody on it, or you're gonna take a beat I don't recognize, you're gonna put some familiar chords on it, et cetera. So we need a foot in the familiar in order to adopt a new, right? And so you wanna be able to balance those two things, which is why when you see, I don't know, when we took uh, Giannis to Nigeria for the first time, this is, he hasn't been back, He's never been in Nigeria. When Giannis Adenikopo goes to Nigeria, the, the NBA season, or sorry, the NBA All-Star tunnel walk right before that, he's a partner of WhatsApp, he wears number 34. What's the country code for Nigeria? 234. 234. So when he walks out, he does his tunnel walk, and we've got him in the merch, and it reads plus 234. Number one, I'm already calling out a country code. I'm in a WhatsApp colorway. I'm calling out a country code and I'm commonplace, right? Borrowing the number that he already wears. That's just a, that's an example of how commonplace and different works together. And then when you go intimate and distant, can it be impactful and meaningful for one person? And then can that impact scale? And then fresher than an infant, that's the thing that most people associate with creativity. It's just the joie de vivre that makes something undeniably dope. Uh, and that's, that's really the recipe. So when we're, when we're setting out to do that, that's all we're doing is following that checklist over and over and over again. This recipe, it doesn't seem complicated, but it requires skill. It's like baking. That's why they pay us the You have to measure box. it out. Like, you know, yeah, I mean, this is, these are some real gems, you know, and you make it sound seamless, which is how I know that both of you sitting here are such incredible forces in this industry and can have the power and have moved the needle forward in a way that we need. You dropping these gems in front of all of us allows us to continue to push the conversation in a way that's meaningful and push the culture in front of millions of people ultimately. And I'm, I'm really grateful to be here, but I wanted to, on that note, take a moment and acknowledge some of the awards and, and recognition you've gotten, Bonin, and the question is specific into that. So you were revered as one of the smarted minds in advertising and was inducted into the Advertising Hall of Achievement. When you think about innovation in Africa, where do you think the largest opportunity lies? That's the only award you're going to mention? The list I is mean, real long. honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I think about innovation in Africa, where do I think it's going to come from? Or where do you think, where do you think it's going to come from or where have you seen innovation that you think is unique to the continent? Uh, I think, you know, um, unique to the continent. I, I think that because this, what's been interesting to me about Africa is to watch how a country is built in a mobile first generation. So I know that sounds like we're, we're going, but if you're brutally honest, this, I guess here in, in India, um, were the only two countries that didn't really have any substantial infrastructure uh, and connectivity pre 
uh, mobility. Mm -hmm. And so the innovation that's come around has been really, I think, the source that drives how we operate on this new operating system of mobility. I'm saying new, although you know it's been the year of mobile for like 20 years, but uh, 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 around the world. And I think that drives everything from payments, which I think was first and foremost, how do you move money? Um, all the way to education, training, engagement, communication. I mean, so I think that as a result of kind of the historical background, we've seen a ton of innovation in that space. I do believe what Chaucer was saying is, well, we're chalking Web3 up as kind of, it's not in vogue anymore. The underpinning of what it represents, which at its end of the day is ownership. And, you know, having come from where we're trying to battle to, to change the ownership, you realize that that's the difference. Like we had a, a company, one of the large networks is out there telling advertisers, well, we'll just make sure that 51% of the money goes to black owned businesses, but it doesn't necessarily have to start with a black owned business. And we're like, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, it's got to start with a black owned business because any business, the reason, the same reason why you want 100% of the money first is the same reason why we need to put 100% of the money into a black owned business because it gives them the ability to borrow against it, to mm -hmm. you know, all the things that come with that. And so ownership is, that's the whole thing here. And that's what we have historically not had is ownership and now here's a chance for us anybody but for us to really leverage the ownership of our own creativity and ip and i think we're going to see a lot of innovation come from the continent around uh, around that so that this time we own our culture because well hip-hop generated a lot of dollars it didn't generate it for us <laughs> so uh so that, that's kind of i would I, I think that because what the continent knows is how to skip past innovations or past infrastructures. And I have just one last question to wrap up, and there's no right or wrong answer here. So, not that there was earlier. Um, what trends do you expect to see in advertising for 2023, and how do you think it will change the advertising industry? Maybe you can go first, Chaucer. Um, yeah, I think the AI story as it relates to advertising is very big. I mean, chat GPT is a headline, is probably overinflated, but that hasn't been said. When it did open up, I had a 70-page deck, and I fed it the deck, and I said, write me a press release for this. And I versioned it three times in 30 seconds, and it was just as good as any highly polished comms professional that I've ever seen. Uh, so I said I have to say, this, this coming wave of AI, I've, I think the most creative people in this business or around this business are gonna figure out how to wield it right. in increasingly creative ways, and they are going to become su robocops, supercharged superhumans uh, who, who, who really challenge the value equation of what agencies do, creative agencies do, which is charge for units of time. I think that's, uh, I think that's the, the biggest problematunity facing <laughs> the industry today, and, and it's where I hope I start to see innovation instead of people just running around explaining why human writers are better than chatbots. Right. And what do you think, Bono? I was at a publishing conference, in, uh, two, I guess Monday, and then I was the like, oh, yeah, humans so, will always be better. Like, nah, nah, nah. Like, yeah. like, yeah, they'll be better using computers. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think, and it, to be fair, I think United Masters is at the forefront of, uh, uh, of doing this. and. 
what's interesting is, um, you know, he didn't give full history, but uh, his partner and co-founder, I don't even know, you know, was one of the, the biggest music moguls in the world. You know, the biggest pop stars that you know, Jay-Z, that all were because of this person. And I think what they've done amazing is to create a platform so that you can democratize the access um, and create value for more than just one artist, but for millions. Mm -hmm. And he can describe what they do better than I, I can. We, on the other side, just launched our creator offering, which is called Crater. And the idea is Crater, leave your mark. But the idea, and this is where I think is the next big wave, is we're no longer, every, right now we treat influencers as, you know, creators as influencers. We give them a product, we tell them hold this up and say a few things about it and hopefully I'll get some numbers. At the end of the day, these are creators that have passions and we're not fueling their passions. What's gonna be much stronger is if you invest in the thing that they're passionate about. So what our product is, and I'm not trying to pitch our product, but I'm just saying, we try to find from creators, what are you passionate about? And we try to match those with advertisers that can actually, you know, that align, but can actually support the growth of, of, of that passion. And it's the same with, you know, Adidas and what you guys are doing with music, but Or Kevin Hart and suitcases. Right, exactly. Yeah. So fi find the passion points that match together. And I think that that is a big change for advertising where it's no longer about me forcing you to tell the message I want just because you have an audience, but instead me supporting what you're trying to bring to your audience. Because A, your audience is going to like it more, and B, you're going to believe in it more. Those are great, great, great uh, takeaways for us to take from this conversation. And I think it's just important to say that Africa is a cultural powerhouse. The continent's empowered, the diaspora is empowered, and I hope that we've left with some trends and some predictions, some ideas of how we can all push the culture forward. But let's continue to develop, cultivate, and encourage avenues to capture the innovation that we are creating. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Shaw. Thank you, Molly. Thank you, Bonin. It's been my pleasure. And thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. For more content like this and to learn about Advertising Week's world-leading events for the advertising, marketing, and technology industries, visit www.advertisingweek.com.